Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Hi, you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. And today is all about solar. I sit down with Jenny Chase, who is the head of solar research. And she has actually been an analyst at BNEF covering solar since the very beginning. We're going to talk about what's going on in 2022 with prices, which continue to rise for most components, materials, and projects across the industry. But at the same time, there continues to be strong demand, and 2022 is also likely to be a year of record build in Europe, in China, as well as a few newer markets where high energy prices are driving adoption. So let's speak with Jenny about the solar photovoltaic market outlook and what she's observing across the industry. Hi, Jenny. Thank you for joining. Hello, Dana. Hello, everyone. Well, you're back here today, and I don't think I asked this question last time, so I'm going to ask it as the first question as we start today, which is, How long is it that you've been covering the solar industry? It's been 17 years. Okay, so you've got a good amount of time under your belt and a good amount of perspective on some of the highs and lows. And so I'm actually going to quote you back to yourself as we start this show today. So I took a look at the PV market outlook that you did for the third quarter 2022, you and your team. And you say in this report that, and I quote, the future of solar is more uncertain than ever. And even in the present, the picture is one of blurry but frantic growth. So I want to know, what do you mean by this? Oh, dear. Yeah, it sounds very pretentious when you put it like that. (laughs) I mean, I started covering this industry when there was about a gigawatt, maybe two gigawatts, I don't remember exactly, being installed every year. And this year, we think there were 251 gigawatts being built. And as it's scaled up, the number of countries doing solar has expanded massively. So there's there's now about 145 currents that we have to maintain current statistics and forecasts for. And solar statistics are really hard, Dana. 
Countries very seldom produce timely information on how much solar is being installed. A lot of the time, they don't even collect this information if the solar is not grid connected. And so all the data we have on build of solar is quite backward looking, You know, at least six months backward looking, except for Chinese exports. Mm. And China is exporting loads of solar this year. We've got exports up, for, up to July and they're really high. Europe has about 53 gigawatts left China for Europe up to July. And we were expecting the whole European market to be about 41 gigawatts this year. So there's a whole load of modules in Europe that haven't been installed yet. And sometimes it's just really hard to figure out what's going on. So the statistics are largely unreliable. And as a result, how did that impact your forecast? We put a big buffer in because we know the modules are going somewhere. And we've got this lock called the buffer, where if none of our regional analysts can identify where the modules are going, we'll leave a little bit of headway because we know they're probably wrong. And at least some of them will find all those modules in their geographies and be shocked. So I think then let's talk about what's driving the higher costs. And I know that inflation is this word that everybody is mixing into pretty much every conversation right now. And I'm guessing by the time we get to the end of the year, it'll be one of those words where everyone's just exhausted by it. But if we're thinking about what's happening to solar modules, which have largely seen a decrease in prices for various reasons associated with the different components, what's causing maybe a short-term increase in module prices in the near term? So solar is a bit unusual in the whole inflation basket in that we do expect it to reverse quite drastically. Because there is You did say thing. that, yeah. You're saying that you think things are going to come down by the end of 2023. I think solar module prices are going to drop, probably start dropping by the end of 2022. Because, first of all, solar modules today cost about 26 cents a watt. They were as low as 19 in 2020. So there's this very unusual situation where even in nominal terms, they're higher than they used to be. In real terms, it's actually about flat, but in nominal terms, they're more expensive than they used to be. And that's not a common situation in solar. The prices have been dropping for 30 years pretty rapidly and pretty steadily. However, what's holding them up right now is a shortage of polysilicon. Polysilicon factories are big and expensive and take time to set up. And very simply, global demand for solar modules has driven demand for solar polysilicon to be well ahead of how much is being produced. However, there's a whole bunch of factories coming online in China to make more polysilicon. And we also think there's probably some inventory buildup of modules around the world. So we're expecting the prices to drop back towards about 22 cents from the current 26 cents. Okay, so prices are coming down. Prices are not coming down yet, to be fair. The prices of modules could stay high for a long time, but that would mean an awful lot gets built next year because the only thing that I can see would drive prices to stay high all of next year would be if we build 500 gigawatts or more of solar next year, which I don't think we can. There are bottlenecks in installation labour, in what sites are ready to get permitted, to get permission to build solar on and connect to the grid. And there are also shortages of other components like inverters that hold things up. Well, and so let's talk about solar industry growth, because that's definitely something that a lot of people are thinking about right now in terms of high energy prices and, you know, potentially countries looking at more domestically produced energy. And I do understand and I know that listeners understand that natural gas and the volatility that we're seeing on prices over there and how important flexible capacity is to the solar industry. It's definitely one of the pieces to the puzzle that you have to see in the big picture when you're thinking about solar but largely, do you see growth in this industry and rollout? And if so, where? Kind of in response to high energy prices. Absolutely. So one of the biggest and also most difficult to track sectors is rooftop solar in Europe. 
So solar being built by house owners and business owners, literally just to feed into the building that they're on. And sometimes to feed into the grid if it's allowed. So this is one of the segments where the data is porous, but we're pretty sure from talking to installers and third-party finance companies and other sources that this is going gangbusters. Installers in Germany say that they're sold out until next, well into next year, simply because people are freaking out about their energy costs. And one of the ways you can deal with that is by putting solar on your roof and buying less electricity. Which is something because Germany were early adopters with solar. I mean, they had a boom a decade and a half ago. Germany has a lot of solar, but it's still got some roofs that don't have solar on it. So I guess they're getting it now. Better late than never. So solar could potentially help alleviate some of this volatility. And you mentioned Germany. You also have other parts of the world. So let's say namely China and you know India, which even received a large number of panels earlier this year. Do you still see build out of solar in Asia to be a booming space in the future? Oh, definitely. So of the 251 gigawatts we expect to be installed this year, about 99 gigawatts of that is in China. China has also got high energy prices and is also building large amounts of, of rooftop solar. Plus, some of the mega energy bases being planned in the desert are, are under construction. And that's that's taking up a lot of a lot of solar modules. India is a little bit different because although the Indian market is much stronger this year than last year, the big reason there was a massive import boom in India is a 40% import tariff coming in in April, which meant that anyone planning to build solar in India bought their modules before April. So potentially this is going to drop off. Now, India is one of the countries that still has a pretty high dependence on what we would consider high carbon fuels. So coal is you know, still definitely thriving in India. Do you see solar, you know, you mentioned it kind of dropped off because of a change in policy. Do you see it just because of the low LCOE being of interest in that geography going forward or is it going to cool? Absolutely. India will keep building solar. It takes a while for solar to really start digging into coal margins just because changing any system takes a while. But the Indian solar market is is unlikely to cool. There are companies setting up manufacturing in India and there is a government incentive to do so. And probably, to be honest, even with a 40% import tariff, it's still likely to be worth buying some modules for rooftop use. And there will continue to be big auctions that build big projects on open land in India. The future of solar in India is bright, despite the import tariffs. That's a great pun, too. I like all solar things being bright. I love it. Boom. You know, and actually, we're going to continue our trip around the world. And one of the other continents that I actually want to talk about is Africa. And specifically in the run-up to COP27, which is taking place in November, there's a lot of discussion around alleviating energy poverty and the role that renewables could actually play in some parts of the world. And Africa definitely being one of them, given that COP27 is being hosted in Egypt. There's just a lot of eyes on what renewable energy could look like on that continent. How do you think solar is going to play a role in Africa's energy future? In the long term, it will play a huge role. It should be possible for many, many countries to leapfrog over ever going through the coal and gas plant stage and go straight to fairly distributed energy networks that are powered largely on renewables with battery backup. In the short term, things are not quite so bright. A lot of the large projects being built in Africa had power signed in 2020 and before. And those were at prices assuming that there wouldn't be inflation, certainly not predicting the amount of inflation we've had. So a lot of projects in South Africa, for example, 
and other African countries, essentially stalled by the fact that the costs are much higher than they expected when they signed power contracts. Just going back to the topic that we addressed, you know, I guess a couple of minutes ago around the role that solar could potentially play in creating domestically produced energy and alleviating some of the strain on certain grids around price volatility. How long does it take to get a project, let's not say rooftop solar, but utility scale projects off the ground, let's say from permitting all the way through the you know electricity going through the power lines? Oh, goodness. So the longest phase in this is the perm- is the permitting. Almost wherever you are, the longest stage will be getting the permitting and getting access to the grid. Once you've done that, then actually building it can be six weeks. Wow. But of course, the permitting can take a very, very long time. Okay. So, I mean, this is definitely an issue of whether or not certain countries want to see these projects come online quite quickly. And, you know, the role that it could play in prices in the near term actually has to do with the logistics around the project rather than the project build itself. And that's including getting some of these panels literally shipped from where they're manufactured to the site. That's probably a bit ambitious at the moment, six weeks, actually. Um, I mean, if they're going from China to Europe, that's probably six weeks for starters. On the other hand, I'm getting some emails offering me a container of modules or two in Rotterdam. So like, if we're willing to use mixed modules, we can probably do it pretty quickly. Okay. So I was recently reading that there were negative power prices in certain parts of the US quite recently. And, you know, at a time when high energy prices that we all end up seeing on our home energy bills, and I know that, you know, companies are seeing as well. Could you explain a little bit how, you know, grids and grid rollout may end up being one of the bottlenecks, maybe a very important one for the solar industry? I mean, I know it's space that we at BNEF have recently dedicated a team to because we understand just how critically important grid infrastructure is to the entire web of renewables and, you know, the energy system as a whole. They certainly are. The thing about solar power plants is that all the solar power plants in one region generate power at roughly the same time. And if you have a lot of solar power plants in one small region connected to one bit of grid, and there isn't a large amount of local load that runs in the daytime, you are quite likely to get grid congestion, which just means that not all the power being produced can go down the grid. And you can get zero prices or even sometimes negative prices if there are some perverse local incentives, which can be fixed either by maybe putting in a battery to save some of that local power for later when the solar production drops or just by building more grid. In a lot of places, the battery is actually cheaper and easier and solves the problem for now. But grids are a huge part of the solution to to take power being generated in one place to another place where it's more valuable. Now for a very short break. Stay with us. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. 
More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. So in short, there are, well, there's more than one solution to the grid question. One of them definitely is batteries. So we'll have to be very creative thinking about the future and how all of this is interconnected. Well, and while we're on the topic of the U.S., because that's sort of the case study that I was using there when we led into that topic, how about the Inflation Reduction Act? And I know, you know, those who are in the U.S. at the moment are talking about this a ton and what it means for various parts of you know, the energy system. What does it mean for solar? I think it's super exciting. I very much regret that we don't have a final, this is what it means for solar demand number. But I think that we will see some domestic manufacturing in the US, particularly of ingots and wafers again. And it probably should increase our forecast of US build because it's really generous for solar. In fact, it's so generous for solar that I'm slightly concerned it's going to set up a lot of perverse incentives over the next few years that might lead to to tweaks along the line that are somewhat disruptive to the industry. Expand on that. What are the perverse incentives? So as I understand it, you'll be able to claim the production tax credit for solar, which means that you should be able to offer very, very, very low prices for solar. And you'll probably get that regardless of whether it's fed into the grid. So I feel like we could just have an awful lot of solar plants built in not super smart places and very quickly. Then again, maybe they'll never get permission to build anything at all. I mean, in the US too, there is a, there are major bottlenecks. I've seen a lot of in the past is huge solar booms like Spain's, like Romania's, like the Czech Republic. And those are very often followed by retroactive changes that make it less attractive than originally anticipated. And in the meantime, you get developers who overpaid for rights to to build a project. And there's all kinds of mess when you have very complex but very lucrative systems. Solar is not complicated. It's actually quite simple. And when you stack layers and layers of legal and tax equity and financing complications on top of that and pay all those people, you can end up with a very expensive and somewhat unsustainable industry. And what are some of the things that people are objecting to solar rollout about? Because I'm thinking as a parallel, we recently recorded a show on nuclear with our colleague Chris Kodomsky, who's been covering that space for an extraordinarily long time. And, you know, he talked about just the amount of run up that it takes, just like you were saying, it's that permitting process at the beginning that is you know, critically important, but adds to the timeline. And then even with wind, you know, there are those groups talking about, well, what about the birds? What is the thing that is that sticking point for solar that causes uh, opposition? Generally, everyone loves solar, right? I mean, it doesn't (laughs) obviously kill birds. It's not going to say it kills no birds because there are some types of waterfowl that can mistake solar panels for water with disastrous results in the desert. But natural selection has to do something, right? So generally speaking, solar, you can't see it from a long way off. But it does cover land that could be used for other things. So a lot of U.S. development is on Bureau of Land Management lands in the U.S., which is is desert that has been preserved because it has ecological value. And it's probably not right to just say, go and build solar all over these places. You know, you have to protect the desert tortoise and the other species that that live there. And you do have to do some basic research. On the other hand, there's quite a lot of this land. So maybe some of it is not critically important and you could build solar on some of it and preserve the rest. Solar versus agriculture is another big talking point that I think is probably Mm. more talking point than a real conflict right now. It's certainly been a a feature of the UK recent leadership elections. 
I don't know why, because very little of the UK agricultural land is used for solar anyway. And there's not a massive boom in solar even planned in the UK. But people are concerned about food versus fuel issues in the long run and making up solutions such as, ag- as agrivoltaics, which would be combining solar panels with, with agriculture on the same land, which sometimes probably makes sense, but probably also sometimes not. There are some crops that flourish under cover, some ways of tending those crops that can work under solar panels. My suspicion is we're going to find a lot of ways that don't work, but there probably are some that do. Okay. So the land use question then ends up coming to the fore. By the way, I love the quote that everyone loves solar. I mean, Jenny Chase, for those who know you well, and I think have worked with you for a while, they will know that you are quite pragmatic about the industry. You're not known for putting any sort of sunshine and roses where they don't belong on anything. So this is by far one of the most optimistic on solar rollout conversations I think I've ever had with you. So it really says something. So everyone take take Jenny's optimism. Uh, maybe optimism's not even the word. Maybe you're still equally as pragmatic and this is just what is happening. I think that is the point that I was trying to make. Yeah, I don't love solar. I hate solar. I've worked for 17 years. <laughs> you would too if you had. Okay, well, let's talk about the companies that are involved in this space at the moment because, you know, some of the things that you're talking about, including domestic manufacturer of solar in the U.S. or build out of different projects in India or even just the, you know, massive scale that we see growing in China in already robust market. What are some of the companies to watch as you see it at the moment? Oh dear, there are hundreds of them. I think a big beneficiary of the IRA will be First Solar, the world's last remaining thin film manufacturer of any significance, which does manufacture in the US and is also from its factories outside the US is not subject to restrictions in future. And there is the risk that the US will reinstate restrictions on cells and modules from Southeast Asia coming into the US, which will make everything more complicated in in a year and a half or so. There's always the big Chinese manufacturers, so Longi, Jingo, JA Solar, Trina Solar, Canadian Solar. Hanwha Solar is working with US silicon maker REC Silicon to bring back some of the old the silicon factories in the US. That's one to watch. The developers, every country has its own phalanx of solar developers that are looking to get permits and get, and get grid connections. And those will probably just benefit from the expanding market, particularly if prices drop for modules, which will give them a little bit more margin. Yeah, there are lots of solar companies. All right, let's look under the hood a little bit and let's go really deep on one specific part of the data world. And something you don't normally spell out in a market outlook is kind of an explanation of a specific piece of methodology kind of in the meat of it. In this case, it was the Altman Z-score, which is something I had not heard of, but I know many of our clients in the solar industry are definitely asking for detail on. Can you explain what the Altman Z-score is and why the solar industry watches it? So I should have looked exactly who Altman was and when he did his research. But Altman was an economist and he produced some academic research a while ago of manufacturing companies. And manufacturing companies, he found you could predict their probability of bankruptcy by looking at some fairly standard financial ratios that are disclosed by public companies on stock markets. And this looks at at their their assets, their liquid reserves, their market information, basically about how well they're performing relative to their debt. And he found that 
an Altman Z score above 1.8 meant a manufacturing company was fairly unlikely to go bankrupt in the next two years, whereas below 1.8, there was actually a pretty reasonable risk. And solar companies go bankrupt all the time. Historically, this chart of Altman Z scores has a lot of, of companies below 1.8 in it, and it still has a few. They don't all go bankrupt. I mean, being below 1.8 is a risk of bankruptcy. It's not a certainty. What we've seen in the last year is pretty good profits for the solar industry, particularly for polysilicon makers and glass makers and some of the big manufacturers. And so a lot of these companies have moved into quite positive Altman Z scores, which suggests they're in fairly good financial health. So Daco, Shinyi, Longi, Tongwei, Almaden, First Solar. Basically, this has improved a bit and most of the companies are in, in decent financial health, which is unusual for solar manufacturers. You're mentioning it's a super fragmented market, maybe a reasonably low barrier to entry. I do identify a bunch of those in this research note and kind of throw companies and names of specific projects out there that, you know, definitely are kind of taking off. So we have some visibility on what's happening in the nearer term. You mentioned then film solar. So I think the question that I want to get to, and I think maybe could even be its own podcast, what's in the world of weird and wonderful tech that's happening in the solar space? Because of course, we know over at BNF that it, the utility grade projects, and then of course, the rooftop solar projects are where most of the you know new installed capacity is coming from. But what about the solar roof tiles that people were talking about there for a bit, or the thin film solar, or the solar that ends up going on, you know, your windows. What's in the weird and wonderful category that you are watching? You can't see me rolling my eyes, Dana. <laughs> the whole point of solar is it's not weird and wonderful. It's just normal. You buy solar panels, you probably don't need to think too much about what sort of solar panels they are, and you put them somewhere which vaguely faces the sun. Yes, there are, there are gimmicks like solar roof tiles and solar blinds, and some people will even buy them. In the past, when you see a thin film company saying that they're going to pivot to bespoke solutions like that, you know they're about to go bankrupt because that's the last pretense that the product is actually good. They're just going to go for, oh, we're not good. We're just going to be pretty. A good solar module generates electricity. What it looks like is relatively unimportant. But hey, there are people who will pay extra for special black modules with a black frame and probably also for solar blinds and solar roof tiles. And if they want to, they should go right ahead. But the point of a solar module is to produce electricity. So it is deeply a function over fashion moment. And Jenny, I could feel you rolling your eyes. So even <laughs> if I couldn't see it, I could feel it. On that note, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. And we will have you back to do something more detailed on the solar industry. But it was high time that we had you on the show to just do a crash course on what is happening at the moment, given all of the discussion across the interconnected web of the energy industry and what's happening with price volatility. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dana. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability of this recording is expressly disclaimed.
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.